0: Jeremiah chapter 8, verse 1 through 12, the message entitled, A Call to the Word. You know, the Pony Express, sometimes you see some of those old cowboy movies, but it was a thrilling part of the early American history. It ran from St. Joseph, Missouri to Sacramento, California, a distance probably about 1,900 miles, and the trip was made in 10 days, 40 men each riding 50 miles a day, dashing through um, the... trail of 500 of the best horses the west could provide to conserve weight um, clothing was very very light saddles were extremely small and thin and no weapons no weapons were carried the horses themselves wore small shoes and or none at all the horses themselves um, uh, were the best And the mail pouches were flat and very conservative in size, again, because you're seeing all the weight precautions, all that. You've got to do all that running. And um, the mail pouches were really flat so that it wouldn't bulge out. And letters had to be written on very thin paper. And postage was five dollars an ounce. A tremendous amount for that day. Yet, Each rider carried a full-size Bible. It was presented to him when he joined the Pony Express and he took it with him despite all the scrupulous weight precautions. The Word of God was more of greater value than a weapon when they rode the Pony Express. Well, I'll tell you, our nation sure has changed. We've come a long ways. When people seem to get started in life or in their nation or whatever, they seem to have a trust in God. It's when the prosperity comes, when the time of ease comes that everything decays and we become self sufficient, we becomes our destruction. Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even asunder as the division of the soul and spirit, of the joints and the marrow, and the discernment of the thoughts and the intent of the heart. This is what the word of God does. If you're going to be a man of God, you need to be in the word of God. The will of God is in the word of God. You don't find the will of God by your emotions, your feelings, or, you know, opening the Bible says, Okay, Lord, show me, and I'm going to point my finger. Okay, that's it. You know, that's not the way it is. It's very clearly written in the word of God. Um, the book of Nehemiah is about servant leadership, if you've ever read it completely through. Uh, in chapter 1, you have a call to serve. God is concerned about our attitude. In um, chapter 2, the section there is a call to work, and God is concerned about our actions. Then in uh, uh, 3 and 4, there our calls of warfare, God is concerned with our abiding. And as you come to chapter 8 here, um, it's a call to the word, and God is concerned about us knowing his mind in order to do his will. God's will is the most important thing, and that's why he has recorded in his word, so that every generation has it. And yet in spite of that, people neglect the Bible, they don't study it, they don't read it every day, and therefore they run their lives. They call themselves Christians, but they live by worldly standards and worldly manners. And it's, it's, a, it's a contradiction of, of what goes on today, especially today with the emergent church, because they don't believe you can learn any objective truth from the Bible. It's all subjective. It's all dialogue. They dialogue because they can't be sure of any absolute truth, so they don't make any big deal to doctrine. They just say, let's just love one another. Well, if you don't have doctrine, you're going to love each other carnally and contrary to the Word of God. You've got to know the Word of God, gentlemen. Let me read the text here in um, Nehemiah 8, 1 through 12. And I'm going to start at halfway in the verse 73 because that's really a better chapter break. Uh, Remember, the chapters and the verses were not inspired by the Spirit of God. They're put there by men who made the breaks, and for the most part, they do pretty good once in a while. You can adjust it half a verse or a verse, something like that. Um, It begins right there. It says, When the seventh month came, the children of Israel were in their cities. And then verse 1 says, Now all the people gathered together as one man to open square, and it was in front of the water gate. And um, they told Ezra, the scribe, to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded Israel. So Ezra, the priest, brought the law before the assembly of men and women and all who could hear and understand on the first day of the seventh month. Then he read from it in the open square that was in front of the water gate from the morning till midday before the men and women and those who could understand and the ears of all people were attentive to the book of the law. So Ezra the scribe stood on a platform of wood which they had made for the purpose and besides him and his right hand stood Mattathias, Shema, uh, Ananiah, uh, Ereja, Hilkiah, and Messiah, And at the left hand, he had Padaiah, Mishael, Melchihai, and uh, Heshum and Hushadab, Hushabadabana, and Zechariah, and Meshulam. That's, those are harder than Xavier, man. Um, and Ezra opened the book in the sight of the people, for he was standing above all the people And when he opened it, all the people stood up. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, when all the people answered, Amen, Amen, while lifting their hands. And they bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord in the face of the ground. Also, uh, Jeshua, Bini, um, Sherbiah, Jamin, Akub, uh, Shabithiah, Haldijah, Messiah, Kelita, Azariah, uh, uh Hanan, Peleiah, and the Levites helped the people to understand the law, and the people stood in their place. So they read distinctly, is the key verse, from the book, in the law of God, and they gave the sense and helped them to understand the reading. And Nehemiah, who was the governor, Ezra the priest the scri- and the scribe, and the Levites, who taught the people, said, all the people, this day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people wept when they heard the word of the law. Then he said to them, Go your way, eat the fat, drink the sweet, send portions of those for whom nothing is prepared, for this day is holy to our Lord. Do not sorrow, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites quieted all the people, saying, Be still, for the day is holy. Do not be grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and to drink and send portions and rejoice greatly because they understood the words that were declared to them. Nehemiah's call to the words here, notice, is characterized by three truths in this whole section. First, we're going to see the, the realized, that that is realized by the personal hunger for the word. That's the first thing. A call to the Word is realized by a personal hunger for the Word. You have this from the middle of the last verse right to verse 3 of chapter 8, okay? Then secondly, we're going to see that it's rewarding by proper exposition of the Word. This you have in verses 4 through 8. And third, you have the results. It's a penetrating conviction of the Word in verse 9 through 12. And so the text unfolds for us. Remember, these people have been in captivity 70 years, okay? Let's take the first. A call to the word is realized by personal hunger for the word. Notice first, all the people gathered together as one man and told Ezra to bring the law of Moses. Man always responds to God. Simple principle. God initiates, man responds. Not, no, no man has ever initiated. People say, oh, I've been looking for God, liar. Nobody's looking for God. God initiates and we respond. God is always the initiator. Real simple. The emphasis is on being one mind and purpose desiring God's word. God had put them in captivity 70 years. Now they're back. The occasion is just weeks after the completion of the wall. We get this in Nehemiah chapter 6 verse 5. They have seen God work for them. They've been in captivity for 70 years. Now God brought them back, as he said he would, through Jeremiah. And now they see the wall is built. Walls act as protection. Without walls, the city can be overcome. Now they knew that they were free from captivity and in the land, and the walls were built, but if they didn't return to the word of God, they would be destroyed again. You see? The word is the most important thing in our life. From there, we can build the walls of safety or whatever it is, but it's the word of God that's important. This is why they went into captivity, because they broke, they disobeyed the word of God. Notice all the people were there, those who were old enough to appreciate and discern the meaning. Verse 2, the priest Ezra brought forth the law. The congregation was composed of men and women and all who could, listen, hear and understand, okay? There's no children here that can't understand. And there were kids with them, okay? The date was the first day of the seventh month. So he specifically wants us to know the dates because it shows us it's post-captivity and that God had been faithful to his word. This is the first of October, the Feast of Trumpets announcing the holy month of the new moon. It's the holiest month of the Jews. October 1st, the Feast of, um, of Trumpets uh, announcing the, the uh, new moons. You have Yom Kippur, the 10th. You have the Feast of Tabernacles, 15 to the 22nd. Okay? That will change with the Jewish calendar, but the Gregorian calendar, that gives you an idea. Now, all the people, notice, counted the cost of time to hear, and they were attentive. Look at verse 3. Okay? They took the time and they were attentive. The word was read from daylight to noon. About six hours. People complain if I teach an hour. Are you kidding me? I, I don't see how pastors could teach a half hour, 20 minutes. Sermon that's for Christianess or dirbs or what? How are you going to get through the word of God? They spend more time on begging for money or announcements or programs than the Word of God. It's ridiculous. The hunger of, for the Word was greater than the amount of time it took to hear. Every pastor knows what's going on in people when, they're, when he's teaching. If people are paying attention or not. If people are interested or not. If people are writing down or not. Or if people are looking around. I see everybody every time I speak. You're very aware of what's going on. And when you give God's word, the spirit of God can work in the hearts of people. People try to entertain Christians today. Bad, bad, bad. Because if you do a good job this time, you've got to up it one next time. You've got to keep changing everything. But if you teach the word of God you do the same thing every time, and you let God take care of it. He does the work. Notice the word all. It appears in all three verses. They were in one accord as to their desire to know the mind of God, to do the will of God, because that's why they went into captivity. Because they knew the mind and the will of God, but they didn't do it. You know, in France, they're Once lived a poor blind girl who um, obtained the gospel of Mark with raised letters uh, of Braille. And um, her fingertips would peruse the word of God. And from constant reading, they became real callous. And so she was losing the sense of touch to read the letters So one day she thought she would make it better. She was lying, and she took some scissors and cut the ends of the calluses and all that. But to her amazement, she had cut so deep that she lost the sense and she couldn't feel anymore. The letters. And her cry out to God. She grabbed that Braille book and put it to her lips, and she realized her lips were more sensitive than her fingers, and that's how she read by her lips. How often do you pick up your Bible, gentlemen? How many Bibles do you have at home? Do you value God's Word? (laughs) I would say that we probably have five, ten Bibles at home. All of us, easy. But it's how often do you pick it up? Read it. Study it. Let it penetrate your mind and heart. Obey it. God would have us all to gather together as one man with such hunger for God's word that we would say, bring God's word. This is what's lacking in the church. Uh, When Pastor Chuck got called by the Lord out of Foursquare, he began to teach rather than preach, and God began to bless. And he uh, brought the church to a new level, teaching the word of God expositionally, verse by verse, chapter by chapter. And now it's kind of like the church is reverting back to old Pentecostalism with the emerging church, right? Motivational speaking, okay? You have all these young, you know, uh, trendy kind of guys that motivational speak and, you know, they, they don't even teach the Word of God. But people love it. They love to be entertained. And yet the Word of God is the only thing that can really keep us on target. Jesus said, As the answer Satan, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God in Matthew 4.4. yes, the word of God is going to give us life, the word of God is going to direct our homes. God would have each of us not simply to gather to feel good, but to hear and to understand the meaning and obey the word of God and to live a holy life. So whatever revelation we read and understand, then we have to apply it to our lives. For this reason, we don't allow children under the age of 12 in our studies um, because they are unable to understand and it doesn't allow me to deal with an adult content when I need to. And sometimes people will get, and this has been through the years, I mean, I've been around, we've been in Pasadena since, on, uh, the, well, Alhambra 1980 and then, you know, 86, we moved to Pasadena. So, you know, we're, I, was, I started, I got born again in 73, so 44 years is a long time. You know, I've seen people come and go and people all with their lame excuses. Well, you guys dividing family, you guys out of worship. Bye. Hopefully, if you get to a church that allows your kid to sit next to you that's under 12 years old, I hope the person next to you can understand and read because your kid's going to be playing with the pencil everything else and talking to you. And he's going to hate church because he's bored. He should be in the Sunday school with the kids where they're going to teach him on their level. But see, people have screwy ideas about the church. <laughs> this is Old Testament. It says everybody who could hear and understand on that level. Very important. Be diligent to present yourself, approve of God, a workman It does not need to be ashamed, right? you divide in the word of truth, 2 Timothy 2.15 says. So the study of the word of God. Some of you guys are just come to the Lord. You're a year, you're two years in the Lord. The book looks impressive. It's just overwhelming. But listen, you start with one book, start with a small one. The book of Jude, one chapter. Then move to a two chapter, three chapter, four chapter. Then before you know it, you're in Isaiah, 66 chapters. Okay? You start somewhere. It's like how do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time. That's how you do it. Okay? I mean, the first time you ate an In-N-Out, you ate one hamburger, right? But then two years down the road, you're having two double doubles at, tw- at midnight, right? How'd you get to that amount? You just keep eating, right? You create an appetite. That's how, And you were even thinking about getting a third one. God would have us to count the cost of having and hearing and understanding God's word. Notice they stood for six hours. It says they were attentive. Not bored. See, people come to church for many different reasons. Some people to be entertained. Some people to use the church or whatever it is. But... When you come because you love God and you want to search God, you want to hear His voice, then you're attentive. If you come to hear a man, you're going to walk out empty. If your heart is lifted to the Lord, God's going to speak to you and guide you and direct you. It's important. You're going to learn the Word of God. It's going to take commitment, gentlemen. Jesus said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, they shall be filled, Matthew 5, 6. Everything takes time. Everything that's valuable, and lasting takes time. To destroy it takes a thousand of a second. Like that. Fast. As the deer pants after the water brook, so pants my soul after you, O oh God. Psalm 42.1. The way we used to hunger and thirst after partying and drinking and drugs and everything else, that should be your desire now for God. Okay? So a call to the word is realized by a personal hunger for the word. Your wife can't give you that hunger. Your pastor can't give you that hunger. Only God can give that hunger as you seek him. Notice secondly, a call to the word is rewarding by proper exposition. This is where the rubber meets the road. This is where the time has to be put in. What I mean is the proper handling of the text to bring about the meaning of the life situation when it was written and make application of life. Every book, every, every verse of every book was written to a specific time, a specific people for a specific purpose. So the first responsibility of an expositor and of a pastor teacher is to find out and do study what did it mean to the people of that day. Once I find out what it meant to the people that day, then I can make application, but not until I find out the interpretation. Sometimes I can make the application straight across, sometimes it has to be in principle, okay? But I have to find out the interpretation first, okay? That's important. Big old word, hermeneutics, science of interpretation, think of a triangle. On the bottom you have context, language, Hebrew, Greek, or Aramaic, and then cultural background, okay? Those are the three things that are going to tell you exactly how to find the interpretation. I'll give you a little example. Very seldom, does a generation um, is is allowed to see words change their meaning in that same generation. Mostly it takes three, four, five generations Then the first one's probably gone before it changes. But in the 60s, we used to call flip-flop songs. Okay? And so... Today, a thong is a different thing. Now, if I dug up a letter and it was written in the 60s, 1966, and it says, hey, John, bring me, make sure you bring my, 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 my thongs from the car when you come. Okay? And then I find a letter of 1990s and it says, you need to go buy, buy some thongs. Now, If I dig this 1990 and I interpret thongs the way it was used in the 60s, I've misinterpreted this text. Okay? So I've got to do my homework, right? So it's not just reading. So those three things will guide you into proper interpretation. So you have to roll up your sleeves, spend some time, do some digging, and make sure you do some careful observations. And you only interpret what's in the text, not from the absence of Scripture. Now, Luther's word for the Reformation was Scripture alone. Scriptura sola. Nothing but the Scriptures. Okay? Notice here in verse 4 and 5, proper exposition is accomplished by one who is called and anointed by God. Ezra the scribe is the one here on the wooden platform, six men on the right hand, seven on the left, gifted men to teach. Ezra opens the book and all the people stood to hear. Now we've got something backwards here. I should be sitting, you guys should be standing. You know why they did that? Because it's easy to find out who fell asleep. Boom. Okay? Somehow got reversed. They stood, and the priestess right here stood above them so that they could see him, not because he was better than them. They've just come out of captivity. They don't know the Hebrew language. Okay? They've lost their language in captivity. These men know the Hebrew. They're ready scribes. That's where the synagogues began after the captivity. There was no temple for the 70 years. The great synagogue began and put together after the captivity. These men were ready scribes. Ezra was already a scribe that teach the word of God. He knows the Hebrew, okay? So these guys are interpreting for these guys what the text means because this text, remember, the word, their disobedience brought them into captivity. Their only hope, their only safety is to understand God's word and obey it. Very important. So proper exposition is accomplished by one who is called and anointed by God. Now, you can get to the meaning just as I do. I am called and anointed by God as a pastor teacher. But that doesn't mean that you don't, you're not anointed to understand the Word of God. We have the same Holy Spirit, okay? We have different positions, but you have the same ability as I do, okay? Because you've repented, you have the Spirit of God, the mind of Christ, you have the Word of God. I have nothing over on you, Okay? Yes, that God has called me to be a pastor teacher, but you have the ability to interpret also. Now notice, secondly, in verse 6, proper exposition produces and point, uh, pointed the people to the worship of God. They lifted up their hands. Notice that in verse 6, symbolic of dependency, surrender, and the desire to touch God. They bowed their heads. They worshiped the Lord, a position of humility and reverence. Notice that. Then notice proper exposition is expository. Here's the greatest definition of expository. Listen, he read distinctly the root word means to separate, to show. He gave the sense from the word intelligence, in other words, the meaning. He helped them to understand the reading, to separate mentally and distinguish and perceive, applied to life. So this is what I do as a pastor. I read it, I tell you what it says, I interpret it, I tell you what it means, and then I tell you to apply it. That's the only thing I ever do for the last 40 years. So in the beginning of the sermon, I told you what I was going to tell you. Now I'm telling you what I told you I was going to tell you. And When I get done, I'm going to tell you that I told you what I told you I was going to tell you. (laughs) So I've made myself accountable to you in the beginning this is the text. This is what's in the text. And you should be able to follow me and you should be able to see that that is the evidence in the text. I'm not making it up. All right? It's accountability. That you stick to the Word. You don't go up rabbit trails and use the text as a springboard to go tell your testimony or something else. You stick to the text. You know, you pay a lot of money for a hound dog. I don't care if you pay $5 or $5 million. $5 million. The test of that hound dog is when you take him honey. If he goes up a rabbit's trail, shoot him. He's worthless. Too many pastors, too many Christians are like bad hound dogs. They go up trails. They don't stay on the text. They get distracted. Martin Luther said, quote, I study my Bible as I gather apples. First, I shake the whole tree that the ripest might fall. Then I shake every limb, and when I have shaken every limb, I shake each branch and every twig. Then I look under every leaf. I search the Bible as a whole, like shaking the whole tree. Then I shake every uh, limb study book after book. Then I shake every branch, giving attention to the chapters when they do not break the sense. And then I shake every twig or a careful study of the paragraphs, the sentences, the words, and their meaning. Natural divisions, observations, key words, key phrases, key passages, parallel passages, cultural background. All of that comes into it, not just reading. I read my Bible in the morning every day to get through the Bible at least once a year. Just read it so that God ministers to me. But that's not study. That's just to have God speak to my heart to get the Bible in me. So if you've been born again 20 years, you should have read the Bible cover to cover at least 20 times. Five days on, two days off, you've got the Bible licked in a year. You read 10 chapters, you can read twice a year. You know Spanish? Read the English for six months, the Spanish for the second month, the last half of the year. You got it twice. Easy. Turn the boob tube off. Now, man, you live by priorities. I used to do all kinds of things. When I came to Christ, I dropped everything. I divided my life into th- three thirds. First 20 years, I was saved at 23, but it just rounded out to 20. First 20 years, I threw away. I wasted it. The next 20 years, God was going to teach me how to be a husband, a father, and then the last 20 years, hopefully, He would use me, and I'd be worth uh, prepared to be used. Well, when I got to 60, I said, okay, now what do I have left? I said, okay, maybe I got 15 years left. So I divide into three more, five, five, five. And if I get to those, then I'll break it up. I'll, have, I'll put maybe seven, and I'll break it into threes because it keeps cutting shorter and shorter, okay, because you're not going to live forever, okay? You could, but you don't know, all right? But as I keep going forward, I drop more things. Why? Because they're not, they're not important anymore, if I live that 13 more years, I'll be 80 years old. 13 is nothing. So from here to there, there's some things that people say, hey, let's go do this. No, I don't want to do that. It's not important. So you have to live your life by priorities and importance of where you're at. When you're first married, when you're first a father, when you're working a living, whatever it is, you have to downsize. You have to lighten your load. By priorities. The word of God was taught you that. Now the calling and anointing is not determined by degrees and academic achievements, but by God's gifts, okay? These guys here, by anointing of God. Ezra's called um, and his mission is clear in Ezra 7, 6, 10, and 25, a ready scribe. The church is equipped with such men in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. The pastor teachers, to perfect the saints, to do the work of ministry. God gives them. God anoints them. God calls them. God sends them. Proper exposition will always produce and point one to the true worship of God. If you study the word of God and you expand it properly, it's going to lead you to worship God. You're not going to worship yourself. You're not going to worship your wife, your children, your, your car, your house, or your money account, whatever it is. You're going to worship God. Your priorities are going to be right because we have a sin nature and we have a divine nature and they're one against the other. You know, it's like the two Eskimos that are in the bar and they're drinking, they're getting pretty crocked, you know what I mean? And they keep going, This one keeps saying, you know, I have these two dogs, man, a black one, a white one, they're always fighting. The other guy says, who wins? He says, the one I feed the most. So, who are you feeding the most? The old man or the new man? That's who's going to win. It's real simple. You don't have to be academic about it, okay? I'm not against education. Get all that you can. Once you get it, get over it and move on in life. It'll be okay. Jesus told the woman of Samaria, you know not what you worship. God is spirit and those who worship him, must worship him in spirit and his truth. In John four twenty-two through 24 The word and spirit because the spirit illuminates the word of God. They go together. The Spirit never contradicts the Word because the Spirit is the other comforter just like Jesus. He never speaks of Himself. He never glorifies Himself. He doesn't add to the Word of God. He doesn't take away from the Word of God. He doesn't contradict the Word of God. So whenever you have people worshiping the Holy Spirit, get away from them. We're not to worship the Holy Spirit ever. Praying to the Holy Spirit. We don't pray to the Holy Spirit. You pray to the Father in the name of Jesus. The Holy Spirit never speaks of Himself. He never glorifies Himself. He's shh. The silent witness of Jesus. (laughs) That's what my Bible tells me. (laughs) You see? So when you study, you understand the proper worship, the way to do it, the chain of command. Proper exposition, again, is something that will grow your hunger for the word of God you'll be able to apply to your life. Because that text that you study, every text in the Bible means only one thing. One thing. It'll never change. So if I go through a book and I teach the exposition of it, you've got it down, that will never change. Now the application may change. One interpretation, many applications. But one interpretation. There's very few verses a text in the Bible that could probably fit in this hand. They can go one way or the other, one or two, but that's it. If you do good expository study, they mean one thing, and it means one thing in the days of Jesus, in the days of Paul, and it still means the same thing today. <laughs> no different. It's objective truth, ladies and gentlemen, not subjective truth. Objective truth. So a call to the word will is rewarding by proper exposition. This is why a lot of people aren't growing, because the church has entertained them. Either with just pure worship or motivational speaking or just loving one another or just having community but never studying the word of God. And so the body's anemic. Weak bones. Small little muscles, low energy. The Word is what makes you strong. Nor thirdly, a call to the Word results in penetrating conviction of the Word. Verse 9 through 12. Now that they understand what it means, now they realize their mistake and why they went into captivity. All the people, notice verse 9, mourned and they wept when they heard the words of the law. The word was taught to all the people. The word was expounded to convict, not condemn. Conviction is when the Spirit of God deals with you about your sin and your need to repent from it, to abandon it. Condemnation is sin that has been already confessed and forgiven and Satan rubs your nose in or you rub your nose in or somebody else. Okay? Conviction is, what are you doing there? David, what are you doing on that balcony? David, what are you doing asking whose wife she is? Conviction. Do you know how many checks David got and he kept ignoring them? It's like, you know, when you're backing up in your car, you know. The closer you get to that object, the more, you know, it just speeds up, right? And if you ignore it, bam! Same thing in the Lord. No different. The day was holy to the Lord. Look, notice verse 9. A time of joyful celebration, not weeping, because they heard and responded to the word of God. When all of a sudden you understand your faults, God convicts you. What are you doing there? I don't want you doing that anymore. I want you to treat your wife better. I want you to do this. And God makes that known to you. It's a time of rejoicing. The light goes on. You connect the dots. Notice all the people were told to center on the joy of the Lord for it was their strength. Verse 10 and 11 because they had received true conviction and manifested it outwardly, evidence of godly sorrow. Godly sorrow brings conviction and a true repentance. The sorrow of the world just brings tears. And you say you're sorry, but you're back at it tomorrow. No change. Godly sorrow because God had heard them and forgiven them. Anybody here thinks they deserve heaven? Why don't you stand up so we can laugh? (laughs) I certainly don't deserve heaven. God's grace, man. Absolutely God's grace. Because now they had what? Fellowship with God again. They've been out of fellowship for 70 years. Captivity. Under God's chastening they're heard at the water get an often water is symbolic of the word of god john fifteen three, jesus says you are cleansed by the words i have spoken unto you ephesians five twenty six says that christ will cleanse his bride without spot wrinkle anything by the washing of the water by the word of god will cleanse your minds gentlemen is the word of god what will keep you on the straight and narrow is the word of god get away from the word, you will do stupid things. You will mess yourself up and everybody who's following you, your wife, your children, your family. Notice all the people rejoiced greatly because they understood the words declared to them. Verse 12, the result was loving fellowship, eating, drinking, and parting to others with great joy, true fellowship. Why? Because I know I'm right with God. They got the vertical axis right. This is the most important, gentlemen, you and God right. When this is right, everything this way, horizontal is right. You'll be right with your wife, your friends, that. The problem is we try to fix this stuff without having this right. If we're not right with God, nothing will be right here. Because we're users, we're collectors. Welcome to the club. The old man is bad to the bone. People always saying, "Man's good." Finish the sentence. Good for nothing <laughs> except sinning. It's been forty-four years since I drank a beer, partying. But if you want to sin, I'm ready to go. And the old man. I haven't forgotten, but the new man, I don't want to go there at all. Not at all, because I know it's sin and death. Nothing but pain there. Why would I want to go there? Notice all the people rejoiced greatly because they understood the words declared to them, verse 12, the result was loving fellowship again, eating and drinking, the reason being they understood the word of God. All of a sudden, the light went on. What a joy when we understand what God desires for our lives as we read it for ourselves and he deals with us. You know, there's a singular bush called the Sorrowful Tree. It grows on the island near the city of Bombay in India. At sunset, no flowers are seen on it at all. But half an hour later, the tree is full of blossoms, and these yield a sweet odor. But when the sun begins to shine on them, they either fall off or they close up, and thus it continues flowering in the night during the whole year only. Many of our sorrowful convictions will yield a sweet odor of fragrance to our lives that will never be experienced otherwise. Ecclesiastes, it's much better to go to the house of mourning and the house of laughter. I learned more about pain and repentance than laughing. We learn life, the true value of gentlemen, what are really important, what is really valuable. The Word of God does that. But it begins with my acknowledging who I really am, not who I think I am, not who I say I am. Who, who does God say I am? His Xavier is a sinner. He's a rebel. He's selfish. He's self-centered. He can't handle that. He won't allow that. The new Xavier, he's fine. The old Xavier hasn't gotten any better than 44 years ago. You cannot do anything for the old man except reckon him dead. Romans chapter 5 verse 12 all the way to the end of chapter 8. Reckoning the old man passage. You got to put him out of business, gentlemen. Quit throwing him chunks of meat because He comes alive. And uh, you, you want to make sure that the lion is in the cage, not outside the cage. Very, very important. True and Godly repentance through the word, which shows our failures to hit the mark. That's what sin means, to hit the, to miss the mark. Mourning and weeping is legitimate. But don't remain there. Second Corinthians 7, 9 through 10 again makes the difference between godly sorrow and the sorrow of the world that brings forth death. Godly sorrow is when I recognize my sin and horrible aspect of it before God and people. And I ask forgiveness and I repent and I abandon it. And I make restitution when I can. The sorrow of the world brings forth death. I may feel bad, but after tomorrow a week, over, I'll be at it again. Big difference. The joy that will result from conviction and repentance will become strength for your lives as well as mine. Galatians five twenty two. Joy is the fir- the first manifestation of the fruit of the spirit. It's singular. The fruit of the spirit. In the English, it's plural. In the Greek, it's singular. Many people teach the eight fruits of the spirit. There's no such thing. It's the fruit of the spirit, agape. That's it. Everything after agape are manifestations of agape. One fruit, agape. That's what the Greek says. The rest are manifestations. Great rejoicing comes from knowing that my life and yours is in accord with the scriptures. That you and I understand God's word. Um, in 1 John chapter 1, verse 3 through 4 it says. Uh, That which we have seen and heard, we declare to you that you also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And these things we write to you that your joy may be full. That you have fellowship with God. We have fellowship with each other. So the vertical and the horizontal. But the important is the vertical. God first. If you miss that, you get nothing else. Just like Jesus says, if you, get, you get the father with the son. You try to go to the father without the son, you get neither. <laughs> you got to come through the son. And that's the vertical axis. So a call to the word results in penetrating conviction of the word. Seventy years, most of these people had been born in Babylon. They just heard about God. Maybe they grew up and they saw Ezekiel doing some of his charades out there. Daniel was in the palace. Ezekiel was with the people. A lot of the false prophets out there. All of a sudden, the word of God grabbed a hold of him. So Nehemiah's call to the word here is characterized by these three truths. It was realized by personal hunger for God's word rewarding by proper exposition of God's Word and results in penetrating conviction of God's Word. This is what the Word of God does, ladies and gentlemen. Not ladies, I don't there any ladies here, but gentlemen. Oh, there's one lady back there. There we go. But, um, see, if you trust anything else, or if a pastor trusts anything else, then he's always got to try to persuade, always try to, you know, well, well, I don't want to offend. I don't, you know, it's just, like Spurgeon said, you don't have to defend a lion. Just open the door, let them out. Just let the word out. I'm only responsible for proclaiming God's word. I'm not responsible for your response. That's between you and God. My responsibility is to give you God's word straight. Without sugarcoating or anything else. And pray that your heart would be open for God to do a great work in your heart. And that uh, you guard yourself. You guard your flesh. You walk with God. Put on that armor. Do good warfare. Because um, saying is like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. He loves sleepy Christians. (laughs) He's always looking, and if you don't put on the mind of Christ, if you're not being filled with the Spirit of God continuously, Ephesians five eighteen says, you're not in the Word of God. There's a lot of things that will take you away from God's word. God is more than able. Unto him we can do exceedingly abundantly above all we can ask or think. He wants to do so much in your life. But it comes through the word of God. Not through just fellowship, not through entertainment. Not through just jokes or anything else. But the study of the word of God. And he will bless you guys.